Amen. Well, I feel compelled to share with you, I, I don't often do this, just personal stuff from my family. So they're all here, so I, this is going to work great. Um, I don't know what you watch in your house. By the way, turn to Revelation 3 as we get ready. We're doing continuation of PJ's priority passages. And uh, in case you think it's highly arrogant that the pastor puts a picture up of himself, I just did that because... I want you to know that if I had 10 things, and only 10 things I could share with the world or with you, these would be the 10 things. So today, what are we speaking about? We are speaking about, well, first let's talk about spiritual breakthrough. Again, this is not language that I often use. Uh, there are many books that have titles like this. The reality is, is that if you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, if you have the Holy Spirit in your life as a guarantee marking your inheritance, you've had a spiritual breakthrough, amen? That that is already accomplished, but sometimes we get our eyes off the Savior like Peter did, right? Sometimes because of crisis all around us, we get distracted or disillusioned. And so my main goal in this series is listed out of Colossians 1.28, that we proclaim him. So every series, we are preaching Christ. That is preeminent. We are warning everyone. You're going to hear a lot of warning in the passages today. We're warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone, what? Mature in Christ. So that is going to be filled with a lot of encouragement. That's going to be filled with some edification. It's going to be filled with some warning. But at the top priority of all of it, it is about introducing you or refreshing your mind to the preeminence of Christ, regardless of your life circumstances. Amen? So today, I want to take you into our household, and I don't know what you enjoy if you do any kind of TV. I do very limited TV. I'm pretty much watch sports. Uh, if, it's, if it's not the Warriors, which, okay, it's not the Warriors right now, I've got my MLB package, and I just sit down and I watch that. And every once in a while, I'll watch a movie with my wife. So that's my thing. Um, uh, you know, someone in our house, you could see watching things about Alaska wild men and trapping and, and shooting things and, and all that kind of stuff. Gentry. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, you might also find some people in our house watching this show. I'm not going to name them, but I will say, I will say that out of all those kinds of shows, I love this one. Because it has spiritual implications that you don't even realize. And, and I'm going to make that connection for you. How many of you have seen this show? Raise your hand. Okay, so Hillary, who's holding the pillows, she takes the house that the family is living in, and they, there's some reason that house does not satisfy them anymore. They're, they're disillusioned with that house. And so they're thinking about moving. And so this these two individuals come in, and Hillary's job is to convert their house into something more usable and beautiful. And da it's David, right? I don't know. Bill, it's David, right? Bill? Yeah. Um, and so David's job is to take all their requisites and to go out and find a house that's better. 
And so it's a brilliant concept because in our family, we're like, oh, yeah, yeah, they're going to they're gonna list it. No, 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 they're going to love it. No, gonna... And then whoever loses has to cook dinner. No, that's not how it goes. But there is some implications to this. That's the title of the sermon today, Love It or List It, when it comes to our salvation. Let me be very clear what this is truly about. It's not about a TV show. It is about so many, whether in Scripture, the history of the church, or even our church, who have decided with their salvation to list it and to move on. So many, and we can, we can have a debate about this later, about those who claimed Jesus Christ as their personal Savior at one point in time. That they have become disillusioned. You're going to see my, my uh, illustrations or my points here, alliteration, all start with these. They have been disgusted with the church because of some of the things that the church holds to because of bad teaching or, or maybe they apply some of the sinful attitudes of individuals within the church and they've applied those to Jesus Christ. Can I just tell you, please don't ever, ever, have your kids ever done something that doesn't line up with how you think? Ever? That doesn't mean that you walk away from your kids. And if you're ready to do that, please come, we'll counsel. All right? Kids, same thing. If your parents do something that just doesn't work for you, please come counsel with me, okay? We'll talk about it. I want to know all the things. <laughs> this has been a problem since the cross, since the empty tomb. That there are individuals who take different approaches as to why they want Jesus Christ. And so we're going to turn to Revelation 3, and we're going to see what Jesus says about this, because this is stridently important. In this room, there are those who truly know Jesus Christ. And we're going to talk about how you measure that. There are those who think they know Jesus Christ. We're going to talk about how you measure that. There are those who flat out say, I'm not interested in Jesus Christ. I'm here for the donuts. Right? No, no, no. I'm just, I like that expression. Well done, Anderson. So let's, let's look at it this morning when it comes, ultimately my question is, when it comes to your faith, do you love it or are you ready to list it? So let's break this down. Revelation 3, 1 through 6 is where we're going to start out. And we have a lot of passages, some like this I have on the screen. Some you're going to need your Bible, so I hope you brought your Bibles. We are a church that believes in the Bible. It's right on our sign. We have uh, two wonderful bro a brother and sister visiting us that come from another Bible church. Is that why you came here? Is it it said Bible church? Yeah. Yeah. How about that for marketing? So in uh, Revelation 3, 1 through 6, it says this. And to the angel of the church in Sardis write the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. Let me give you background. John, the Apostle John, is taken up in a vision, and he goes before the throne room of God. Jesus has things that he wants to reveal to him about the end times. We know that that's what the connection is in Revelation, right? But just prior to that, Jesus specifically, if you look in your scriptures, hopefully all these words are in red, right? 
These are some of the last words we have recorded from Jesus Christ. He is actually in the throne room, and he has John go to him. This is pretty important, right? If you had one last chance to say something for all time to people you loved, what would it be? Because after this, the scriptures are sealed. It's not that the Lord doesn't communicate with us, but the scriptures are sealed. So Jesus is very intentional with his message to the church. And so he says, I know your works, Concord Bible Church. Now, does that make you excited or does that make you sit with fear and trembling? I know your works, Concord Bible Church. You have the reputation of being alive, but you're dead. Wow, Jesus, you took us, you took us way up here to the mountain peak and then you just threw us down to Death Valley. But here's the reality, Jesus himself, this is the opinion that matters, amen? This is the opinion that matters. We should live life, we should be a church that seeks to please our master, a benevolent, loving, caring, creative master. And so knowing that these are some of the last words, he comes with exactly what Paul talks about in Colossians 1. He comes with exhortation. He comes with encouragement. He comes with wisdom. He comes with warning. He's a straight shooter. It's like getting your house evaluated by the real estate agent, right? And you think your house is worth at least two apples and a jar of peanut butter. And they start going through and they start picking out all these things. This is dated. What do you mean it's dated? Like, I just chose that last week, and it's dated, and you have horrible taste, so don't count on that boosting the price. You're fired. I don't like what you say. Right? Isn't that what we do? Can I just help you real quickly? You don't fire Jesus. Thank you. You do not fire Jesus. It is all about him being preeminent and us following and trusting in what he has for us. So he gives a warning because the church is the church. We stumble around, we bumble around, but the greatest thing about the church is that God loves us and he, he gives us power in the Holy Spirit and he gives us his word and he gives us things that we would do to glorify his name. So how are we doing? He says, I know your works, you have the reputation of being alive, but you are what? You're dead. Wake up. And strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Is that a fair assessment of where the church, not just Concord Bible, but the church. Is that a fair assessment of where we are as a church? Verse 3. Remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know at what hour I come against you. And then he goes on in the still of the, like, he says, I come like a thief in the night. And, and there you go. Um, we'll get that back in a second, but I, I've got the word right here. Hopefully you've got your word. And he says, yet you you have still a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who, and here's the key word, folks, the one who conquers. How many have overcomes in your scripture? All right? 
We're going to talk about that in just a second. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments. And listen to this. This is so important. And I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my father and before the angels. He who has an ear, if you have an ear, touch it, just so we can be sure everybody in here, he's speaking to you. Whoever has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Jesus says, this is important for all of you. So let me speak to this word conqueror. And the idea is, this morning, we kind of want to look at it in terms of conquerors or drifters. Uh, You're going to be familiar with with the origin language here. Uh, The Greek is, in for all of you Greek students out there, maybe I'm not saying it right, I feel very intimidated because I've got at least four in the room right now. Um, Nikeo. Did I say that right? Nikeo. I'm just going to go with yes, I said that right. Okay? What does that sound like? Nike. And if you review your history about the Battle of Sparta, it was done right there in a vicinity named Nike. And Nike chose their slogan, which, was, which is, isn't it amazing? You all know that. Just do it. How many of you went out and purchased a pair of Tom McCann's this week? Does anybody remember Tom McCann's? Keds? Anyone? Keds? Can't get them anymore. They didn't last. Nike, that organization, that company chose their name because they wanted to conquer the shoe business. They wanted to overcome everybody else. And they will work relentlessly at getting there. Right? So we can get a visual of this. So when Christ himself says that you need to be conquerors, What is it that needs to be conquered? We're going to break that down this morning, and hopefully you heard my little uh, pun there as we're preaching in conquered. Conquer. You didn't get it. Don't even try to take it. So some key passages this morning. The question I have for you is this. When it comes to the book of life, when you heard his words, I will blot you out of the book of life, not talking about the movie, the book of life. Okay? But don't you find it interesting, a movie in our current modern day culture is talking about what happens after death, and they title it what? The Book of Life. Because this idea is intriguing. Scripture tells us, informs us that when we make that statement of faith, when we confess with our mouth and believe in our hearts, when there's true conversion, our names are put in the Book of Life. Now there are some competing doctrines that go on with this. This is not the environment for us to really tackle those. So I know for some of you, you're going to be going there in your minds, the idea of eternal salvation or eternal security, uh, all of that. What I will show you is we're going to see scripture that those who say you are not eternally saved, you have to keep working towards overcoming, right? To the overcomer, they would list these passages to the churches out of Revelation as evidence that this is a continual process through the power of Jesus Christ, not through our power. Because, and they will even list the passage that we're talking about because there's an implied sense on the surface 
that if you do not overcome, what will Jesus do? He will blot you out of what? Do you see why this made my top ten list? No, you don't. You don't get it. You don't see how important this is. Picture the DMV when you were 16. Okay? And how, how much you were stressed and sweating. That should be you right now. I am really trying to get you to emotionally connect with how important this is. Your eternal state hangs on the words of what Jesus is saying. Now, I will just spill the beans and I will tell you, I think the evidence of the plenary understanding of Scripture speaks to eternal security. But I will also tell you, when we get to the end of the sermon, both of those arguments aren't going to matter. Uh-oh, I just got myself in a huge level of trouble. No, because I'm going to show you the scripture where Jesus says, this is how you know that you have eternal life. That's it. That's, that's what you need to know, rather than wading into all the deeper theological nuances of these arguments and systems that we have created that we talk about to make ourselves... Anyway, when we get into these doctrines, they become somewhat difficult to understand. My job this morning, my privilege, is to help you see what God has given instructions so that what? Your lampstand is not removed. These are Jesus' words, not mine. I have the responsibility to help you understand them and to see them and to wrestle with them. So why is this important? Nothing is more eternally dangerous. Hopefully we see that too. This is prevalent. We have individuals. So George, Carl, who else? Who else? Eris. Uh, I'm, I'm going to stop there. You know what? Statistics say you're all going to drop out of the church. That's what the statistics say. You're all going to get out of high school, and then you're just going to leave, and you're going to go seek after what the world has for you. 88%. You are up against an 88% statistic that you will list it when it comes to your faith. I cannot impress on you enough. You dig in. You seek Jesus Christ with all your life because there's nothing that can compare. Nothing that can compare to truly experiencing the love and the power of Jesus Christ. Amen? And the world is going to offer you a ton of substitutes. And you know where most of people your age are at at this point for the high level of life? It goes like this. That's it. This is living. Tick tock, tick tock, tick tock. That's living. And all the while, we ignore the true power of what Jesus Christ can do in our lives and through you in others around you. And if you ignore that, right, if you list it, you will be bored in your faith. You will get convinced it's pointless, it's worthless. It doesn't work. That is the job of the enemy. And if he can distract you more and more, and we're going to get to that in a second, part of the challenge is it becomes out of focus. How much of the church has gotten out of focus with their spiritual walk? We talked about disciplines last week, I think, and how important discipline is for us to have spiritual breakthrough, to really be engaging with Christ and have spiritual health. And so we get out of focus, right? We get out of focus when we're not applying ourselves 
to the promises and the principles of what the church is to be doing. Doubt kills the divine power. I love the passage in Peter that speaks to we get to participate with his divine power. And when we, when we abdicate that, when we put that on the side, when we say, eh, I'm going to list it because I love this over here more, sometimes we get buyer's remorse. We've lost track of what we've actually been given because it's out of focus. We don't use it. So this is some pretty heavy stuff, right? This is a Conor McGregor broken ankle kind of message. Just testing my audience to see who you are. So the idea of conquerors or drifters, who are you today, right? So conqueror, overcomer, those who prevail, Sinecheo in the Greek, just do it. Um, or as they say down in the theological south, get her done. Hebrews 10.23 is a great passage for us to look at this morning in, in looking at the warning of what it means when we list our faith, we kind of step away from it because we get seduced by something that looks a whole lot better. We don't want to put the time into our faith to really develop it and cultivate it and make it exciting. Instead, we get bored with it, we get tired of it, and so we start going somewhere else to satisfy ourselves. So Hebrews 10.23, and actually... I would encourage you to read the whole chapter. 10.23 says this, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without what? Without wavering. Have you ever had doubt in your faith? If you haven't, you're not alive. You're just not alive or you're not honest with yourself. Of course there are going to be things. That's the nature of faith. Faith is what? The evidence of things not what? seen. Just by its very nature, faith leads us naturally, in the natural man, in the natural sense, to doubt. It's what we do with the doubt. Peter got out, did something incredible, walking on water, and then what happens? He sees the circumstances around him, and he begins to... The, the proper word was doubt. You know, let's, let's track here, folks. Yes, he starts sinking because he doubts. But what does he do? He refocuses on his Lord and Savior and the divine power, and he calls out to Christ. We're going to see some of those things today. But we have, to, we have to what? We have to hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is what? Faithful. Great job, Joe. Those songs that we sang this morning set up this concept beautifully. He is faithful. And it goes on to say, how much worse, and so you go a few verses later, and it says, how much uh, worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the Spirit of grace? This is some heavy scripture. This is some of the stuff that the biblical scholars have an Aramaic word for. It's called funky cheese. Okay? That's the big, you know, seminary talk. This is the stuff that becomes difficult to help understand. What I want you to understand from it is very simple. Don't complicate it. There are those who claim Christ. There are those like the the parable of the soils, right? Many of us remember that. Jesus himself talks about this. That they claim Christ, they get a taste of it, they start dressing like a Christian, they start saying Christianese words. Let me hear you all say grace. 
Let me hear you all say mercy. mercy. Let me all hear you say hypostatic union. Yeah, you don't even know what that is. But we learn how to talk the Christianese, don't we? And yet there are those that I have met that had all the right words, had many experiences, had high-level positions, but they knew nothing of the power of God and they had no authentic faith. Because they approached it with a whole different eye than what Jesus requires. And so what happens is that's what the writer of Hebrews is saying. He's saying at first, hold without wavering at all to your faith. God is faithful. He will help you walk through those times of of doubt. And then he goes up and he backs it up in Hebrews 11. He talks about all the patriarchs and matriarchs who had those times of doubt and, and challenge. And yet... They did not waver. And in each one of their stories, God was faithful. God is faithful in your story. I don't care how young you are. I don't care what language you speak. God is faithful in your story if you seek him. Amen? So he goes on to explain that there's a a danger here for those who knew of God's grace and then turn against it and trample it underfoot. Just be aware of this warning. And and there's a lot of different approaches as to how severe this gets. What you and I need to know is that we cannot just slip away and deny our faith and deny him without there being some scars. And some of them could affect eternal life. Some of them could lead to this concept, this overarching idea out of Revelation 3, where Jesus himself says the words, blot you out of what? The book of life. Now, how's that work, Pastor, if you say you believe in eternal security? Because there's a lot of conversation in the background that fills that in. But again, we're not here to talk about that, but I have to speak to it just briefly because I know that this touches on that. So let's get into this. Why do people list it? Well, number one, distracted desires. Turn to 1 John, if you will. 1 John 2, 19. Distracted desires is why people list it. You know, if you've seen that show, uh, they're distracted by the fact that the husband can't focus because he doesn't have an office. So we have to go buy a whole other house and spend 200000 more because I need an office. Right? Um, or the kids don't have enough room to play. Or we have, now we have seven kids and a dog and we have two bedrooms. You know, there is some sanity to upgrading. But let's look at what we can glean from the scripture when we see this idea of people who spiritually list their faith to walk away and what Jesus would say about this. 1 John 2, 19. And again, I just encourage you, I don't have time to read all the context. Write these scriptures down and read the context around it. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have, what? Continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they are not of us. Now that is what I would share with you is kind of the answer to this tension. Right? That if, if and you're going to see in a moment in John 6 where Jesus says that no one comes to me except those that the Father gives to me. And I will never lose a single one of them. Nobody can take them out of my hand or my father's hand, right? There's much scripture that speaks to that. 
So we have to harmonize. How do we deal with this? This 1 John 2 passage is a great way to understand that. Have you ever had a friend who said that they were your friend? They loved the same things. They held to the same views. You vacation together. And then you have this moment of clarity where you have a breakdown and they say, I actually hated the color of your house. And I wanted to vomit every time I was with you in your car because you have such horrible taste. And I hated that vacation we went on together. Hopefully you've never had that experience. Right? But there are elements of what happens within the church, my friends, where people come and approach faith or religion for certain reasons, a myriad of different reasons. And in that process, you start to see that some of those were the seed that fell on rocky ground. Some of those were those that started to germinate and then what? And then the crows or the birds came and stole away the seed. And then some grew up, but then the thorns choked them out. What John is saying is that there were those that were walking side by side with us in the church, and they decided to list it. And so in essence, my encouragement to you in looking at that passage is they never truly knew Jesus Christ. They did not have a believer's faith. Okay? So one of the reasons is they were distracted. They were pulled away. John 6 60 through 66. I almost didn't list this passage because there's way too many sixes there. It got a little scary, but turn there with me. This is the passage where Jesus is talking about, I am the bread of life. And then he, you know, if you just stuck to the metaphor, Jesus, you probably would have had a higher success level on retention of disciples. But think about what John said in his epistle. That they said they were of us, but they went out from us. Here's a group that did exactly that. John 6, 60. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, Do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The works that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But, the, but there are some of you who do not, what? Believe. But there is disciples. Look, man, I've got the plate on my door. It says, disciple, Frank. Right? I'm in. I got the title. But scripture says, after the fact, decades after the fact, in reflecting on it, Jesus himself said, but there are some of you who do not believe. You cannot be a true disciple of Jesus Christ unless you have true belief. Amen? So that's where we get some of this confusion. That's why you see individuals walk away and list their faith. is because, number one, they're distracted in their desires. Number two, uh, there's disclosure issues. You ever bought a house like last night? I was ready to say, mm, maybe we didn't buy the right house. My neighbors had a party, which they're totally entitled to do. But the day started out with Janine and I trimming trees. And we both walked away with scars from branches falling us. We have, what did I say? Like 19 trees at our house. And so I have to invest in all this equipment to, you know, trim this stuff 
And Janine and I are out there doing this. And then there was a fan in, in, in uh, Bill and Nancy's room that went out like a week after, right? So you buy that home warranty, so you're covered. Nope, doesn't cover fans with remotes in them, right? Like, where's the disclosure on that? So, like, a week ago, Janine and I are in there. We got it done under an hour. Home improvement, nobody got electrocuted. We're still married. Praise God. Right? But last night, oh, and then as, you know, uh, Samer and Gentry are leaving, there is a huge explosion somewhere on the other side. I mean, I'm not casting dispersion on communities, but it was Oakley. It was Oakley. So there had been a bomb threat at a Trader Joe's, right? And earlier in the day, I thought Trader Joe's blew up. It was that loud, right, Samer? We seriously thought someone's whole house blew up. And we're not talking about the firework thing. I'm like, I don't know about this neighborhood. <laughs> and then last night, our neighbors have a party, and Janine and I are like staring at the ceiling at 2 in the morning while people are just scream laughing. No disclosure. Got zero disclosure about that happening. The one thing I love is every Saturday night during the summer, there is mariachi music going on somewhere in my neighborhood. And it goes till 3 in the morning. That's fine. That puts me to sleep. But when you're buying your house, right, you want full disclosure. And when you start to see the things that are falling apart, how many of you have had that regret, that buyer's remorse? You're like, I don't know about this. Folks, John 6, 60. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. And then he says, unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you cannot what? Can't be my disciple. Jesus is kind of hardcore that way. And so people, rather than seeking him and seeking the wisdom and knowledge of what he is actually saying there, those who followed him, not just the 12 disciples, but all the disciples, there were many who were following Jesus at that time. They heard that statement and they said, this is too hard of a saying. We're gone. You never disclosed this when we signed up. We like the miracles. We like the idea that you're this Messiah and you're gaining in popularity. You're going to free us. We like that part. But we didn't hear this stuff about eating your flesh and drinking your blood. The part I didn't read is right after that, he turns to the 12 and he says, what about you guys? Peter's instantaneous response is, you are the Christ. Why would we go anywhere else? Can I just tell you that's what it takes to conquer? That's what it takes to conquer. Divided devotion, 2 Timothy, let's turn there. And then I'm going to wrap up, and this is a two-part series. We'll be back next week with this, you know, part two. Because just that's what you would do. 4.10. Paul says this to Timothy. Actually, I'll back it up to nine. He says to Timothy, do your best to come to me soon. For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica to gamble and chase after women. Does your translation say that? I just added that. I wanted it to be really clear. Actually, I wanted to connect it to a lot of what we see happen. Trey, have you ever had a friend that just walked away from the faith because they chose the world? No? Okay. How many of you have ever had a friend that claimed faith in Jesus Christ 
but they fell in love with the world like Demas and chose to pursue that. This is a very real thing. This is a very real thing for us to deal with. And so what's paramount for you and I today is that we understand how to deal with what compels us to list it. The last one is disillusion. I'm just going to reference it. In John 17, Jesus speaks to this idea that he hasn't lost any. Right? So in John 6, as you keep going through, you'll see where Jesus speaks to the idea that no one comes to him unless the Father gives them to the Son. And he says, in essence, he is saying, and no one will be lost. No one will be lost. It's right there, very explicit. No one will be lost. And yet in John 17, Jesus is doing the high priestly prayer, and he says, all of whom you have brought to me, speaking about the 12, he says, I have kept safe, except for one. Judas. Judas was disillusioned. Judas had different expectations of what faith meant and what it meant to follow Jesus Christ. And there are so many that their faith has been, as Paul would say, shipwrecked because they had expectations here of what life would look like if they jumped on the Jesus bandwagon. And Judas, at one point in time, and I'm sure there was a buildup to it, he finally said, enough is enough. I've had it with your radical process. This doesn't help my agenda. This isn't what I signed up for. Have you ever felt that way in your faith? This isn't really playing out the way that they said it was going to play out. I encourage you. Scripture says, seek him and you will find him. Jesus is faithful. God is faithful. There is no shifting shadow when it comes to God. Amen? It is man's inability to communicate clearly who God is and man's choice not to seek the truth. So many of us become disillusioned by an event or by something traumatic, and so we just give up rather than going to Christ and saying, what do we do? God bless Nicodemus. The last passage I have for you, I don't want to just leave you with that because next week we look at love it. Um, if you will, turn to uh, Acts 17. We'll finish with this today. And we're going to have a lot of passages next week that are going to help you understand how you continually grow in your faith and you basically tell David, no, I'm not looking for greener pasture. I need to pay attention and work on my house so that it is a place that I love to be in. I want to work on my spiritual house so it's a place that I want to be in. And I will make every effort to do so. Acts 17, 24 through 27. And it says this. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands, 
as though he needed anything since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God in the hope, it's a key word, in the hope that they might feel their way toward him and find him. I encourage you to do exactly what Paul talks about. As he was sitting there speaking to the brighter minds of the Greek and Roman philosophers, he was arguing from a logical standpoint in rhetoric And what does he do? He speaks about the magnificence of who God is. Much of the time we get disillusioned because we stopped focusing on God. We started focusing on the waves and our problems. And because of that, we just want to move on. We've lost track of who God really is. And we don't recognize when he shows up. We're going to look at that next week. But I encourage you, in 1 John chapter 3, is the key to knowing. And at the end of the service today, we're going to give opportunity For you to wrestle with during the rest of our service, how do I fit in that warning out of Revelation 3? How do I fit? Do I want that blessed eternal life that Jesus died for and promises? Or do I want to list it and move on and just kind of do my own thing? And so part of the challenge for you and I is to figure out, well, what does it mean to truly be saved? How can I know, right? That finds its way into this big discussion of, you know, if I, if I follow the Lord, am I really truly eternally saved? Do I have eternal security? Or do I have to keep working and working and working to be good enough to qualify? You know, there are parts of both of those processes of thinking that are deficient. And what John says to the church in 1 John 3 speaks to the idea that it has everything to do with the evidence of God working in our lives through love. Galatians 5.22, the fruit of the Spirit being active and alive in our life. Romans 12, 1 through 2, that we no longer conform to the pattern of the world, Right? And so at the very end of that passage in 1 John 3, he says, as evidenced by the Holy Spirit at work in your life. You want to know how to nullify all the distractions and to truly know, do I know Jesus? Number one, get to an understanding of what Jesus laid out as the process to seek him. Come to an understanding of our failures, our inabilities, our separation from God the Father because of sin. And then knowing that he promised and he reached out to you and I to provide that way through grace and mercy, the redemption of mankind, 2 Corinthians 5, so that we can have a way and a pathway to eternal life through the blessedness of Jesus Christ. And when that happens, as we step our portion being faith to seek after Christ who we cannot see, we cannot touch right now, when we do that, as Jesus said to Thomas... In John 14, blessed are those who respond but do not see. 
then the promise is that we receive the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit begins to change us and conform us into the likeness of Christ. If you're seeing that in your life in a steady progression, you may have hiccups. You can have these moments where you stumble. You get a little disillusioned or distracted or things get a little out of focus. But you come back because of that voice of the Holy Spirit leading you back to him. And you desire Jesus Christ. That's the evidence of your faith. And there's so much scripture that speaks about the evidence of your faith. It is that which puts your name in the book of life, brothers and sisters. Let me close in prayer, and then I have a special treat for you. Lord God, we come to you with eager anticipation of our souls. And we pray that each person here today wrestles with, is their name in that book? And if there are questions, if they're not sure what that means or, or where they fit in the span of all that, or maybe they're tired of being angry at you and they want encouragement, they want counsel, they want to come back into right relationship. Father, whatever it be, let them not rest until they get those answers that bring life. Let them seek those answers that bring life because you are faithful. We pray these things in your precious Son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen.